I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Jeremiah. I enjoyed last week looking at some of the symbolic actions of Jeremiah. And for this week, I want to focus in on perhaps Jeremiah's most famous sermon. It is the sermon that he preached right in front of the temple in Jeremiah chapter 7. But before we go to the sermon in chapter 7, I want to go back first to the story we read for our Old Testament reading. That was from Jeremiah chapter 26. And see if you can remember. Do you remember where that story took place? Jeremiah chapter 26. I read it just a few minutes ago. Do you remember where the story happened? It took place at the entrance to the temple, just like the story in Jeremiah chapter 7. And I want to share something that I think is pretty interesting. And this is that Jeremiah 7 and Jeremiah 26 are the same event. They are both about Jeremiah's sermon at the temple. And we're going to see more of this as we go on today. But I just wanted to be clear that chapter 7 and chapter 26 are describing the same day the same sermon, the same event. The difference is that in Jeremiah 7, it's mostly about the sermon that he preached. But in Jeremiah chapter 26, it's mostly the story of what they did with the sermon that he preached. And if you can remember back a couple months ago, I actually said that this is kind of how the book of Jeremiah unfolds. The first part of the book is mostly the sermons. And the second half of the book is mostly the stories. And that's what you see with this. Jeremiah 7 is mostly about the sermon that he preached right in front of the temple. And Jeremiah 26 tells you the story of what happened that day. So let's start with some of the story. So go back to Jeremiah 26 and look at verse 1. It says, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. And now, let's just review. That guy, Jehoiakim, is the first significant king after his dad, Josiah. Okay? But this guy is nothing like his dad. Okay? This guy, Jehoiakim, completely and immediately turned away from the God that his father loved. So this is a turning point in Jeremiah's life and in the life of the nation. So look at verse 1 again. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, this bad king, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, this is to Jeremiah, go stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord, all the words that I command you to speak to them, do not hold back a word. It may be that they'll listen and everyone will turn from his evil way so that I can relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. Okay, so, so here you have this turning point in, the, in Jeremiah's life and in the life of the nation, where you go from this great king to this terrible king. And God tells Jeremiah, I want you to go down and stand right in front of the temple. 
and, and say all the words to all the people that come in on this particular day. Now, why does God want him to do this? Did you see it? God wants him to do this because God hopes that maybe they'll listen. Why does God want them to listen? Because God wants to show them mercy. He says, if maybe they'll listen and, and turn so I can relent of the disaster that's coming. Okay, now, what is the message that he's actually supposed to preach from the front of that temple or from the gate? In this chapter, we're not actually told much of the sermon. But the one thing we're told in this chapter is the big warning. Okay, so look at this, verse 4. It's three verses long. It's one warning, three verses long, but it's only one sentence. Okay? Verses 4 to 6, one sentence, big warning. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law that I've set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make the city a curse for all the nations of the earth. That is the big warning. If, if you won't listen, then I will make this house like Shiloh. Now, what do you know about Shiloh? Do you know anything? about Shiloh. I, I was not sure if how familiar we would be, because this sounds bad, right? Like, if you don't listen, I'm going to turn this temple into something like Shiloh. Like, that's bad, but like, why? What does this, what's he talking about, okay? So they, now, the key thing to remember is Jeremiah's audience, like all the people who were coming that day, they knew about Shiloh, even if we might not be familiar. They knew exactly what Jeremiah was saying. So, so what's the history of this, okay? Earlier in Israel's history, Shiloh was the place where the, where the tent or the tabernacle of the Lord was, was located, okay? That's the key. Shiloh was the place where the tent was. Okay, so, so think back with me to Israel's history. Like, they, they come out of Egypt and they go through into the wilderness. They go to Sinai, to Mount Sinai. And when they're at Mount Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments. And what do they build while they're there? They build the tent. And that's going to be the place where God meets with the people. And for the rest of the time in the wilderness, they take that tent with them wherever they go. Like they'll set it up, they'll stay for a while, and then they'll take it down and they'll go somewhere else. Okay? Now, eventually, after Moses dies, Joshua leads the people into the land. What do they do with the tent? Because they're not traveling around anymore, taking it from one place to another. What happens to the tent? Because okay? it's not until hundreds of years later that they actually conquer Jerusalem under David. And it's not until after that that his son Solomon builds the temple. So like, what was going on with the tent for all of those years? Okay? And the answer to that is that the tent was set up in one location in the place called Shiloh. 
Okay? And that tent was there from the time of Joshua for hundreds of years, all the way through the time of Judges, all the way into the life of Samuel. Because okay? maybe this will actually ring a bell. Can you remember the story of Samuel's mom, Hannah? When she goes to the house of the Lord, do you remember where that was? She goes to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And she goes there and she prays for a son. And God gives her a son, Samuel, and then she dedicates her son back to the Lord to serve in God's house at Shiloh. Okay? Now, the question is, what happened after that with the, with the tent? What happened in Shiloh. And the Bible, you can read the whole Old Testament and you won't get a story about it. Okay? But what happened is that house was destroyed, probably by the Philistines, and maybe even during kind of at the end of Samuel's life. And that is the key to understanding this threat. Jeremiah is standing right in front of the temple and he says, if you won't listen, to this message, God's going to turn this beautiful house into Shiloh. He's going to do the same thing to this house that he did to the tent at Shiloh. Okay? Now, how do the people respond to this? Look at verse, verse 8. Okay, this is not what they wanted to hear when they came to the temple that day. So how do they respond? Verse 8. And, and when Jeremiah had finished speaking, all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priest and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, you shall die. Can you imagine a response like that to a sermon? <laughs> that would be a rough <laughs> concluding thing. They have people gather around me and grab a hold of me, say, you will die for what you said. Okay. Now, let's leave the story where it is. Okay? And I want to go back and I want to I hear more of the sermon because this story didn't really tell us much of the sermon. If you want to know what he actually preached, you got to go back to Jeremiah chapter 7. Okay? So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 7 and look at verse 1. Same day, same event. Jeremiah 7, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Can you see? It starts the same way as Jeremiah 26. But this time you're going to hear the sermon. And the heart of the sermon is the next two verses, verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways, and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. That's the first theme, and the second theme is verse 4. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. That's the second theme, okay? First theme, verse 3, amend your ways. In other words, repent. And God will allow you to stay. There is real hope offered, but only through real repentance. Now you might say, what do they need to repent of? Look at verse 5. Okay. Look at verse 5. 
For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, like what are their bad stuff they're doing? If you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land I gave of old to your fathers forever. Now, sadly, that is what you find in a society that does not fear God. What do you find? If you look at that text, you find injustice, oppression, murder, and idolatry in, in basically any society where there's no fear of God, no honor of his word, those are the things, the kinds of things you'll find. And in this chapter, what's even more sad is that this is the story even among God's own people. God had called them to be different than this. He called them to be just toward each other, like to do right to one another, to fulfill their promises to God and to each other, to carry out their duties in the community. Instead, God's own people have been unjust. God told them, you will show compassion to the strangers and to your orphans and to your widows. But instead of doing that, God's own people oppressed the needy and took advantage of the vulnerable. God had called his people to cherish and promote life, to be the leaders in protecting and preserving life. And instead, when God looks at his own city, it's filled with the blood of the innocent. And above all, God had called his people to be exclusively devoted to him, to be his faithful bride. And instead, they committed spiritual adultery wherever they went. Okay, this is the first major theme of the, of the sermon, to repent from those things. Now, the second theme is in verse 4. Look at it again. This is the most famous part of the sermon. Don't trust in deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? <clears throat> Don't trust in those deceptive words. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Like, what's, what's the point of that chant, you know, or of that mantra? I, I think you might have an idea already, but the text gives us some insight, too. So look down at verse 8, where he comes back to that. Behold... You trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all of these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes. Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Can you sense what's going on? 
What are the deceptive words that the people are trusting? Why do they keep saying again and again, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord? As I've, as I've been thinking about it, I think there are, there are probably you could summarize it as two big lies that the people have believed about the temple. And both of these lies have continued to be believed in similar ways for a long time. Okay, the first is that they've been deceived into thinking that as long as they keep coming to the temple, it does not matter what they do the rest of their lives. I mean, that's the point of verses 8 through 10. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, worship other gods, and then come here and stand in my house and say, we're safe to just keep on doing all that we've been doing. And that is a message that has been applicable across generations. Why? It's because the human heart is uniquely susceptible to this lie, to the lie that as long as we do religious stuff and go to the religious place, it really does not matter what we do at home or at work or in the community. But that's not the only lie they believed about the temple. The second lie is they've been deceived into thinking that the temple itself guarantees their safety. I mean, that's really the point of verse 4. Don't trust in these deceptive words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. What's the point of the, of the mantra? And here you have to remember, there were constant threats around the people from other nations. They, they knew this, that there was danger all around. But what was the good news for them? They had the temple of the Lord. And as long as they had the temple, they would be safe. They put their trust in the place. I mean, after all, God would never abandon his own house, would he? I mean, God would never let his own house be destroyed, would he? This was the deception that they believed. That's the thinking behind the chant, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And Jeremiah's challenge is simple. Don't trust in those deceptive words. And again, I think the message is just as relevant today. Why? It's because we all know we need refuge. And so we all look for refuge somewhere. Even those that you know, who are not particularly religious, they still have something that they look to for security. And Jeremiah's message is, even if that place that you look to is the very temple of the living God, it will not keep you safe when God's judgment comes. There's only one place of safety And it's not in the temple of the Lord. It is in the Lord of the temple. And that is the one place 
these people did not want to go. Why? Because they knew that truly running to the Lord would mean that they would have to repent of their sin and flee their idols. And they would not do that. Now, to the end of the sermon, look at verse, look at verse 12. Okay, so Jeremiah 7, verse 12. So what's Jeremiah's response? Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and look at what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you've done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you didn't listen. When I called you, you didn't answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that's called by my name and in which you trust, and to the place I gave to you and your fathers, I will do what I did to Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight. But God is not bound to the temple in Jerusalem. And what God's message is, all you have to do is remember Shiloh. Look at what I did there. I will do it again. Solomon's temple will fall. Now, this is the end of the sermon. What happened after the sermon? For that, where do you have to go? You go back to Jeremiah chapter 26. What did the people do with the sermon? Okay, look back at chapter 26. Do you, remember, you might remember, their first response is, you will what? Die. Okay. So did they kill him? Is that what happened? Now let's go back and see how the story ends. Okay, so Jeremiah chapter 26, we'll pick up at the end of verse 8. Three words, you shall die. But it goes on, right? Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, this house shall be like Shiloh, this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Can you imagine Jeremiah? I mean, can you feel the rage in the crowd. And they are now surrounding him in the temple with thoughts of murder in their hearts. Now skip down to verse 11. This is chapter 26, verse 11. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and all the people, this man deserves the sentence of death because he's prophesied against the city as you've heard with your own ears. Now, what does Jeremiah do? He doesn't, he doesn't run. I don't even think he could run. He's surrounded, right? Instead, Jeremiah responds first by saying, the Lord told me to say this. And then look at verse 14. Jeremiah says, but as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood on yourselves and on the city and its inhabitants. Now, that's all the further we'll, that we read in our scripture in just that verse. Do you know what they do after that? It's, it's actually surprising. Look at verse 16. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man does not deserve the sentence of death because he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that they actually repent and start to listen to Jeremiah in general. But it does mean 
they at least listened to that one thing he just said. When he says, you'll be bringing innocent blood on yourselves, they shockingly listen, and they don't kill him. His life is spared. And this reminds me of God's promise to Jeremiah at the beginning of the book. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail over you because I am with you to save you. Now, as we step back from the temple sermon, I just want to do, want to do two things. I want to try to connect what, what you saw to Jesus. And I think maybe you've already started to think about this. Okay? And second, I want to just think about how it connects to us. Okay? So in regard to Jesus, I can think of at least two really clear connecting points between the, the, this event and Jesus. Okay, the first has to do with the fact that Jesus preached, more or less, the same message as Jeremiah did at the temple in his own day. Okay, in our New Testament reading today, we saw what Jesus did at the temple. Okay? What was going on in the second temple in Jesus' day was the same kind of stuff that was going on in the first temple. And Jesus went in and he cleansed the temple. Remember that he, he goes in and he drives out the people who were taking advantage of the poor. He goes in and he drives out those who were turning the temple into a place of trade. And do you remember what he asks? He says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have turned it into, do you remember what he says? Pretty famous line. A den of robbers, which is from Jeremiah chapter 7. That was what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 7. Okay, but you could go even further than this. Just like Jeremiah, Jesus also predicted that the temple was coming down. Jeremiah predicted this temple's coming down. Jesus predicted the same thing. Do you remember his, uh, his time with the disciples? And they're like, look, Jesus, big stones. And Jesus' response not one stone will be left on another. They're all coming down. But Jesus did more than just predict the destruction of the temple. Jesus also promised that he would raise up a new temple, a new place where people could meet with God. And he would raise up a temple not built with human hands, a temple that would never be destroyed. What temple was he talking about? He was talking about the temple of his own body, which was cast down at the cross to death, but was raised up on the third day, never to die again. It's in Christ, in his body, the new temple, that God now meets with us, and this temple will never be destroyed. Now, the second connecting point, I think, has to do with the warning that Jeremiah gave to the people. Do you remember it? He says, if you kill me, you can do what you want to me, but know this. If you kill me, you'll be bringing innocent blood on yourselves. Do you hear any stories of Jesus like that? Because think of when Jesus stood before Pilate at the trial. Do you remember what happened? 
when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere with the people and that they were going to start a riot, what does Pilate do? Do you remember this? Can you picture it? Pilate takes some water and he washes his hands in front of the crowd that wants to kill Jesus. And what does he say? I am innocent of this man's blood. And do you remember how the people responded that day? Because Pilate was basically saying the same thing Jeremiah said. Like, I don't want anything to do this. If you do this, he says, you do what you want. But he basically is telling them what? If you do it, if you kill that innocent, you will be bringing his blood on your head. And what did the people say that day? All the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. And they took Jesus out and crucified him. You see, what they did not do to Jeremiah, they did to Jesus. Those are just two of the connecting points that I think help us to think about Jesus and his, his life and his death and his resurrection. But Jeremiah's sermon at the temple also challenges us in at least two ways. And I want to just go back to those two lies that are just as deceptive today as they were in Jeremiah's day. The first lie is that God does not care how we live as long as we show up on Sunday. Okay? But the truth is, right, God cares about how we live on days other than Sunday. To use similar way, words to Jeremiah, will we covet, hate, lust, lie, chase other gods all week long and then come and stand in God's house and say, we are safe. Jeremiah's sermon calls us still today to flee that kind of hypocrisy and to pursue honesty and integrity that your life here, my life here, is the same as it is in my home or at my job or in my community. And where we've fallen, his sermon calls us to truly repent and to know that God will relent. He will forgive. And the second lie, though, is that there is some religious place or practice that can save us. But the truth is that salvation is found in nothing but Jesus. To use similar words to Jeremiah, do not trust in these deceptive words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Do not think that there is any place or practice that will save you when judgment comes. The only safe place to hide when that day comes is in Jesus, the one who already bore God's judgment and came out on the other side victorious. If you run to him and hide in him, you will never taste the wrath of God. This is good news for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jeremiah and this important day 
in his life and in the life of the nation. I thank you for the, the message that he preached and the things that happened and how they both teach us and challenge us and how they drive us to Jesus, how they get us to think more clearly about Jesus, but also how they push us to flee to Jesus in whom we can find refuge for the coming day of judgment. I thank you for the good work you're doing among us. I pray that you would take these words, drive them deep in our hearts, and produce in us the kind of authenticity and integrity that I know we long for as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.